0: You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment Production.
1: This
2: episode, we're shuttering our cameras in fat facts. It's our first real assignment in The randomizer, And we're learning to top the bestseller lists with author
1: James Swallow. He's a very nice man. He's coming up in pod 216. Well, I should hope so.
3: Of the Cherry Anderson Podcast.
0: Get started. Let's go.
4: Spectrum is green.
3: The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James.
1: Hello, Richard James, please don't let the listeners uh, know that I was really what? badly organised at the start of this and have been messing around for about yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah, for, for a change. I mean, four o'clock, that, you said. That, Didn't you? It is, I mean, it is four o'clock. It is ten past four. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> anyway, I'm the often late <laughs> Jamie Anderson. Yes, and I'm the always punctual Richard James. <laughs> uh, and then if I, not early. Uh, well, yes. I mean, speaking yeah. of early, the man mm, who's been sitting yes. here for hours, it seems, I mean, he was already yes, here he when has. we arrived, uh, mm-hmm. it's Chris the randomizer Dale, who there appears is. to have arrived via time machine today. I don't know if you've noticed the what? rather large, unsightly pillar what? down there. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. What's sort of like a kind of a Doric kind of column. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I had Yes, I hadn't noticed that before. You're crossing ribbons here,
1: Chris. Well, I, I i feel like it's a recent addition, but uh, maybe all will be yeah. oh, revealed later on. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, I bet it won't be, but uh, yes. But no, we'll it see. probably won't be. But um, later on, once Chris has waited for us to talk, <laughs> he'll then also talk in the form of The randomizer, which is a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson episode, picked at random when Chris says things about that episode or film uh, at the end of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's worth waiting for, isn't it? It is. But to keep you company between this point now and yeah. that point then, there are many other things. And Richard James will briefly guide it's you true. through those things now. <laughs>
3: I will I will briefly guide you step this way step this way now if you look to your left you'll see fab facts which will be appearing uh, just at any moment now keep up at the back that's it follow me through his down here there we are now if you look to your right ladies and gentlemen you'll see the Jerry Anderson newsy news 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 which will also be here shortly uh, and just beyond there you can see uh, an interview that Jamie has conducted with author James Swallow you're right tell us about that yeah uh, Jamie just come up that's it tell the audience a bit more about that
1: <clears throat> well that's it james swallow yep. is a very nice man and anderson fan who is also a <laughs> new york times best-selling author of thrillers and sci-fi oh. type stuff and um yeah i chatted mm-hmm. to him for quite a while about all things anderson what he grew up loving what he has uh, put little homages to in his book Uh, or his books rather excellent you know things he may have lifted borrowed been inspired by in terms of style and content Mm. Uh, all that and much more so uh, we'll touch James later on
3: all right, well, I don't know if you could just step to one side, Jamie. That's it. Right, that's it. And move forward over here. That's it. Because finally, here's the last thing, which is our lovely Podstrons, so who have been getting in touch by emailing us at uh, podcast at hashtagging us on Twitter, hashtag jerryandersonpodcast, and even posting on our Facebook group. That's it. So that's the tour over. If you could just make your way back down the hall there and we can get to the beginning of the podcast. That's it. Off you go. Lovely.
1: I, lo- yeah. I love this uh, museum tour style thing, although were you showing the Podstrons <laughs> yeah, themselves? You know, the bit where you said and these uh, are the possible it's it got a bit yeah it got a bit
3: meta didn't it uh, yeah. I didn't really think it through it seemed like a good idea at the time it's fine, much I'm... like the podcast <laughs> itself
1: and yet here we are uh still <laughs> audio <laughs> navel gazing all these years later uh yeah, one of the best yeah. well, ways to absolutely one of the best ways to audio navel gaze is by uh doing fab facts i think you'll find so should we um mm. place our chins on our chests and stare downwards for this week I mean fab it's facts? actually
3: It's marginally better than staring at our own navels, I suppose.
1: Brilliant. Well, that's the greatest endorsement you could possibly expect. So here is Fab Facts. (laughs) Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. In this oft-repeated segment, I have a book of Fab Facts, which I flick through. Richard shouts, often in pain, to stop me. But all it does Mm. is make me stop flicking. Mm -hmm. And then I read a page. And then afterwards, I'll stop. So his suffering is prolonged. That's true. As is yours, Podstron. Yes. So, are you prepared to suffer? That's one way of putting yeah, it. Good. Uh, then here comes the book. The, the, the pages of the book, in fact. <laughs> oh, going well, isn't it? Oh, Fab! <laughs> oh, oh cool. you
3: took me by surprise there.
1: Oh, I took myself by surprise. <laughs> oh, dear. OK, Richard James. Here we mm-hmm. are. What a yes, lovely Fab this is. Go on. Do you remember seeing in various old shows a shot of a television set where bars of interference seem to be rolling vertically up the picture.
3: What? what uh, just generally yeah. what, on what, what, TV. What sort of just generally? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. When a TV yeah, is yeah, being yeah.
1: shot yeah. by a camera, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, okay. I see. Yes, gotcha. would we'll have seen that because it was fairly common back in the day, although not so much in the yeah. Anderson Universe. For shows like Stingray and Thunderbirds, and even as far back as Supercar, television screens seen in the Marineville control tower behind Jeff Tracy's desk were usually brought to life by rear projection, which didn't cause that rolling effect. But Ah, as the sets on Anderson shows became bigger and more elaborate, we got closer to live action, it wasn't always practical to use back projection. And so you might sometimes see a real television monitor appearing on a screen displaying those strobe lines. For example, in the Captain Scarlet episode Expo 2068, there's a control room set where several miniature television sets, real ones, are displaying that rolling effect. Now that rolling and strobing effect was created because light from the television screen pulsed at a different rate than the camera could film it, hence the strobe lines. It's an effect that you might even still find today if you point a digital video camera at a television screen. At the time, it was just something that people kind of put up with, really. But going into UFO, it was obvious that since so much time was going to be spent having the actors look at real monitors, something needed to be done to fix this rolling problem to stop it distracting the viewers. Enter former Century 21 puppet sculptor and very clever chap, Terry Curtis, who devised a way to fix the problem. Now, without getting too technical, he created a machine which took the image that was going to appear on the television screen and instantly adjusted it to the pulse rate of the camera, and then fed it back to the television screen. Very impressive, isn't it? Now, we should Mm. stress that Terry, as he freely admits himself, was not the only person working on such equipment, as there was also a group in America trying to solve the problem at the same time. Uh, Their equipment was uh, just a bit bigger than his, though, which is obviously the the, often happens in America. Everything's bigger out there, isn't it? Um, Yes, that's true. However, had Terry not put that work in, UFO might have had to go into production with television monitors strobing all over the place, uh, as they might not have been able to get the American equipment imported in time. So... A huge thanks to Terry Curtis from all of us and all the UFO fans across the globe for saving the personnel of Shadow and later Moonbase Alpha from having to deal with lots of yeah. wavy flickering strobing lines.
3: Yeah, very good. But of course later on, certainly in shows like Space Breezing, dare I mention it. We didn't even have working screens, they'd sort of they're superimposing yeah. afterwards, you'd just watch a blank screen it was GFX, and GFX, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, drop it in later. That's right, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. There you go, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Are yeah. oh, you spose? No, yeah. What do you
3: mean like, you spose? Well, well, I just i wondered where it was going at first, but it came good at I think
1: end. that was quite a good fact. Even Eric agrees. Did you hear yeah. him then? Oh, well he was fun, cheering me on. Yes, boy, I did, yes. You, you tell him. You tell Richard he's a miserable sod. <laughs> so, yes, I thought that was rather really cool because, you know, you do see that, especially 60s and early 70s, whenever a TV set has been filmed, you do get that ugly. It's always sort of a bit diagonal, yeah. isn't it, as well?
3: Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But Terry fixed it. Uh, another another space precinct memory about about screens was the the multicom our sort of multipurpose torch and uh, communications device that we used to use used to have a little screen on and as as we just said the, the actual the 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 image was was dropped in afterwards, but it did mean that we had to hold those things for the close ups mm. of the multicom very very yeah. still, so much so that our hands were very often rested on clamps <laughs> or bits of equipment so that they could take uh, a locked yeah. off shot. Of us holding yeah. the microphone,
1: Yeah There you go And some sometimes nice. They weren't even Locked off shots Were they Sometimes I guess There was too much movement And they would just Take a still frame And that always yeah. looks Kind of That's A bit right. jarring And clunky It does It's yeah. glaring Isn't it funny Yes It's true Yeah yeah, yeah Well there you there go we Okay From UFO to space precinct From Terry Curtis To Richard James We do the whole gamut Here on the Jerry Anderson podcast uh, So <laughs> Sorry Did you just call me again? Something like that uh, Anyway That <laughs> brings us grindingly clunkily to the end of this week's strobe fact uh, oh strobe fact i mean that's i've been saying it, that's
3: it. i'm sorry i am not think the word I, I know i know but i wasn't I really listening You're i was thinking of phone, what i'm gonna you? have my dinner tonight um <laughs> now, anyway, yeah. We have had, of course, as usual, lots of emails been sent into podcast at jerryanderson.com, and here are just a few. Uh, this one, for example, is from Dave Ruther or Ruther, I think, probably Ruther. Dave says, Hi gents. Would have thought someone else might have mentioned this one. A recent interview between Piers Morgan and Union boss Mike Lynch turns its attention to Thunderbirds. From the interview, and he quotes: Piers Morgan clashed with the Union Titan during a talk TV interview where the presenter decided to focus on mixed choice of Facebook profile picture, an image of the Thunderbird villain The Hood Piers accused Mick of wreaking havoc on the world and said I'm trying to see where the comparison goes The Hood was obviously an evil criminal terrorist mastermind described as the world's most dangerous man who wrecked utter wreak or wrought utter carnage on the public Mick calmly explained that the image was a joke asking can you see the likeness anyway says Dave keep up the good work now we don't often do politics do we on this uh, podcast we try to avoid it at all costs Uh, and yet uh, a few indeed yeah, uh, but a few people did uh, notice that uh, particular uh, news item over the last couple of weeks. Uh, on the subject of anger wrongs, which was your idea, <laughs> Jamie, for things that people get wrong about Anderson yes. series. Was it? I think it was your idea, but I think the name might have well, been mine. Exactly, yeah. Well, Martin Label simply says, Terrorhawks.
1: How do you block people on this podcast? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I know. Exactly. He says, all the best. That's from Martin. Uh, In the meantime, Mark Perkins says, greetings, Anderpals, which I quite like. Uh, He said, I was just looking through some old copies of TV21 and found what I'm sure is a future celebrity fan, even though he was only a schoolboy at the time. One of the features back then was a photos uh, of special... Uh, TV21 agents, i.e. readers of the comic, who had sent in their pictures. I often thought these might feature someone I now know or have since heard of, and I saw in issue 7, cover dated March 7th, 2065, i.e. 1965, a photo of Jay Hegley from Luton. I know that the poet John Hegley is a big Luton fan, having grown up there, and the photo does bear an uncanny resemblance to what would have been an 11-year-old John Hegley. I've attached a scan of the page and a photo of him now. It really is him. I'm sure it is uh, perhaps he could be persuaded to be interviewed about his memories of those days of getting the comic every week and his early memories of the shows and that's regards from mark perkins and yes i took a look at the pictures it does look like uh, an 11 year old john hegley as well yeah. uh, poet and um, sort of all-round entertainer yeah maybe he's a, a shoe in for the the guest slot on a on a
1: podcast in the uh, future well Excuse my naughty dogs barking. They're very excited. Twiggy, stop oh, for it! Goodness sake! John Hagley does have a worldwide website, so you know. Right. Okay. Well, we're we'll looking we into that. We can contact yeah. him. Yeah. Let's try uh, it.
3: Dodge Morgan. Yeah. He says, Yo, buds. In answer to the question Jamie posed in pod 214 after the always stupendous Fab Facts, sorry, Rich, uh, would Star Trek have looked better if uh, Century 21 had a hand in its production? The answer is a resounding yes. The reason I say this is when the original Star Trek series was remastered for high-definition broadcast, the effects were deemed too shoddy for broadcast and all effects shots were reimagined in CGI. Now, when any of Gerry Anderson's series has been released in high-definition... The effects have always stood up well and not needed any fixing, as far as I'm aware. So that answers the question. Yes, Star Trek would have looked better if Jerry and his team had been a
1: part of its production. Cheers, and that's from Dodge Morgan. Well, there we go. I'm sure Star Trek fans across the globe will be uh, nodding their heads in agreement at that very suggestion. Is that true though? When the when the various Jerry Anderson series are upgraded for uh, uh, Blu-ray release and so on, do they pretty yeah. much leave the effects no alone? Yeah, no don't need to do anything to them because they're mostly yeah. they are mostly practical. Absolutely. there's no you know there are a few occasional yeah. overlays or scratches or colouring ins of film. I mean, Supercar yeah. in particular, I think they would uh, you know colour colour in black on the negatives yeah. to get a white flash on the final version. Mm-hmm. But yeah. mm, no, all pristine. Hmm. No.
3: Greetings, podcasters and podstron people, says Big Al. Uh, The summer is here, and all being well, in just about a fortnight's time, I shall be on a cruise ship somewhere off the coast of Italy, Getting married It's been a long time coming Bloody Covid Says Al And there's been a few changes (laughs) A fat man In the Mediterranean In August Hmm But we're finally Closing in on our big day What has all this To do with Anderson Well We're going away For about three weeks And there's only so much I can fit in my luggage So before we leave Dear old Blighty I plan to cram As much audio goodness Into my Big Finish app As possible As the Wi-Fi on the boat Is ridiculously expensive And yes The latest Adapted adventures Of international rest and the Wasps, plus a few Terrahawks, Captain Scarlet and Space precinct goodies should keep me going. Perhaps the odd Doctor Who with a familiar name in the credits. If I'm really lucky, then the awesome new audio annual as well. Fingers crossed. Don't worry, says Al, my long-suffering fiance is well aware of my Big Finish addiction and long-ago accepted defeat. It must be love, and I don't just mean a love of stories. Happy times and places. That's from Big Al, sending on amusement.
1: SPA.
2: S-P-A. <laughs>
3: Ah, and best yes. wishes Al uh, and your uh, fiance the future Mrs. <laughs> Al uh, for a lovely wedding oh, and Big, a wonderful I suppose, honeymoon I
1: don't know yeah
3: <laughs> yeah yeah I wouldn't call it that Oe. Oz Dylan wrote, Greetings, Jamie and Company. I would love to see a Super Marination episode of Star Trek. To make one, you could base it off a malfunction of the holodeck that caused it to make everyone inside puppets on wires. That said, could you please look into a 15-ounce merchandised thermal-sensitive mug that changes colour with hot liquid? Design example would be for Captain Scarlet, the normal or cold liquid-filled one would show the long shots of Captain Scarlet from end-title artwork, like the current mug for sale. Pour in hot liquid and it changes." to the close-up pictures. May all your endeavors be great successes. Oh, that's from Oz
1: Dylan. Well, thank you very much for the suggestion. Thermal mugs are something we'd like to do. <clears throat> no, they are. They are. We'd love to do them, but but they are yeah. a pain because yeah, yeah, sure. you have to make mm. thousands of them, and uh, that that may not be possible. Oh yes, sadly. Yes.
3: Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, all for now, but do keep your emails coming in to podcast at jerryanson and I shall be sure if they're interesting enough to read them and if next time. If they're not
1: interesting enough. Well, you know, they are just <gasps> stay in the deleted I pile. I didn't realise there was a deleted pile.
3: Well, that's what happens. Yes, yeah. Oh, oh you should see I, it. Well, I see some of
1: them as they come in. I can, yeah, I can well imagine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. we're only joking. We love reading your emails. Too. Please do keep sending them yeah, in. Please, no, please, Of course we're joking. Uh, yes, and
3: actually, I don't think I delete no. any of them, to be fair. I think they mostly, probably 98% mm, make them to air, 94%. Swear, percent.
1: Yeah. Because there's those rude, threatening oh, okay. messages that Very I sent right. into the podcast yeah. for you, so...
3: <gasps> yes, yes. Anyway, uh, yes.
1: let's go on to brighter things. I feel like it's time mm. for a, a little slimline edition oh, this yes. week of the Jerry Anson Newsy News News News. news. <gasps> oh. Twiggy's very excited. Oh, cool. Then squeeze it in. How do you signify slimline newsy news news news? Oh, what vocally? Yeah. Well, I
3: think something like this. Newsy news news <laughs> news.
1: <laughs> it's like someone trapped in sure you know lift doors, isn't it? Feel it's that kind of That just felt no? like you were taking the Mickey. Oh. Newsy news news news. That's what it sounded like to me. Well,
3: how would you do it? I don't know. How? What sort of uh, newsy news news just, news.
1: Like really, just, really just skinny. Newsy news there see that feels slimline oh. to me oh. anyway now we've bloated it so much all, right. all this nonsense it's just a standard newsy news 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 <laughs> yes yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Go on, it's august did you realize well, it's when Already? this comes out yeah it will be um so uh, we hope you had a yeah, nice yeah. july if you've been on holiday anywhere and what sort of stuff anyway whether you did or not uh go on holiday hopefully hot, wasn't it was very hot it's, uh, yes it's cool now but Hopefully, you managed to get some goodies in our 10 Days of Summer sale. Uh, if you did, we would love to mm. see your haul. So please email pictures to podcast at jerryanson.com or post them to Twitter with hashtag Jerry Go on, Richard. H-U-L, not double Yes. Or yeah. if your haul is in your we hall, don't want to see pictures of your hall. Then that's absolutely <laughs> fine Or if you'd even like to sh- send us a picture of you <laughs> hauling your haul In your hall. um oh, very good Then very that good. would be great I can't think of any more versions though yeah. So, that's fine uh, Today, also the 1st of August Is the last day you can send in your Christmas jumper design We've had a few stunners and a few other entries too so thank you for everything you've sent Mm. in just send Mm -hmm. them to Christmas at GerryAnson.com four colours plus the base colour that's five colours overall Uh, must be Thunderbirds and uh, must be something that could work on a Christmas jumper and uh, hopefully we'll pick a winner very soon and um, put that online for you to see in all of its glory from new Christmas jumpers to old t-shirts well, not old t-shirts t-shirts with retro things on them that's what I mean Mm-hmm. Inspired by mm-hmm. our lovely friends at Games Workshop, would you believe, uh, we thought we'd mm. attempt to put some TV21 covers on T-shirts. So, if you would like to, to try out our new TV21 range, just search TV21 uh, on the Jerry Anderson store, shop.gerrieanderson.com, and you will see a glorious cover Scanned for you in super high definition and recreated, emblazoned across the chest uh, of a, a black, navy, or heather grey T-shirt. It's your call, but uh, it Actually, seemed like a nice thing to do, so we do hope that you like it. Uh, and yeah. A new feature this yeah. week for the Jerry Anson News, which is now definitely oh, not to the line at all. Good. Go on, it's birthdays. Mm. So this week, oh, okay. Well, is this all right. Birthdays go on. include yes. on the third Stephen Burkoff. Ah. And on the fifth of the fifth of August, Wanda Ventham.
3: I see, very good. Is this a, a, a new sort of you know long running item that's going to appear every now and then? I mean, I don't know how long running yeah, it will be. I have yeah. just decided to put it All in right. this week. But, okay, yeah, fine.
1: So you know, fine, m- the old mumba batch is uh, oh, birthdays yes. on Friday. So great, well, happy, happy birthday then. to Wanda and to uh, to Stephen Burkhoff for, yes. uh, for Wednesday. There you go. Great. Anyway, that I think is it i don't tell all you right. it was slimline there's a yeah. of stuff going on but we all need a bit of a break sometimes so that's the end of this week's slimline-ish core sort of Jerry anderson news
3: <laughs> that was the news slimline-ish sort of news <laughs> i knew you were gonna say yeah, that of
1: course it's uh, a gift you gave it to me There we go yeah beautiful good. Uh, beautiful uh, now always Jamie, gave me you gifts
3: uh you know when the podstron's Richard pick something up and run with it well that's what they do over the last couple of weeks on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons. Well, a couple of them at least have been having fun with underdogs.
1: Oh no! I'd forgotten about Thunderdogs. Yeah,
3: Thunderdogs. It was that's right. The cross between uh, Thunderbirds in, in yeah, or dogs in Thunderbirds costumes. Uh, we've got Al Ronald for example who says a publicity poster for the mercifully short-lived Thunderdogs. The series, which saw, which saw Handler Jeff train a litter of puppies to carry out rescue missions, was widely criticised by media watchdogs for its unusual technique of using live dogs as marionettes. Fans say the concept was inherently flawed by repurposing popular Thunderbird sign-off FAB, which in this instance stood for For a Bone. Meaning the rescue dogs would not even think about saving innocent lives before getting treats. Despite the series' failure, cuddly toys sold through the roof. This is what happens when you listen to the podcast with a sketchpad in the vicinity and some time to spare, says Al Ronald, and he posted a fantastic picture of his own uh, stylings of... The Thunderdogs. Uh, likewise, James Charles Monroe says in the latest podcast, the idea of a canine remake of Thunderbirds called Thunderdogs was discussed, as was the idea of a Thunderbirds and Sonic the Hedgehog crossover. So I thought, well, why not combine those ideas? And apologies for subjecting you all to my lack of art skills. And he posted a rather fetching picture of uh, 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 Thunderdogs and Sonic the Hedgehog Crossover Uh, Dick Goodhall posted Having listened to the archive (laughs) interviews On the podcast with Derek Meddings And Barry Gray Are there any more of these lined up for the podcast In the near future?
1: Uh, Not lined up but we do have some quite interesting ones That have come to light recently Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got some archive interviews With Andy Dawson Oh yeah great Thunderbird Stage Show fame Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gabrielle Drake Oh lovely Quite a short, a short one, but we do have mm-hmm. one. Um, they're, they're not, they're not slated for any time immediately soon because we've got some rather cool ones coming up, such mm. as James Swallow and uh, the lovely Chris Bentley, author of ah. the the Vault Space nineteen ninety nine Vault and many other books, Great. Uh, is joining us in a couple of weeks' time. So there's plenty of stuff to keep us busy, but we do have some interesting stuff from the archive that we could use in in due course. Oh, and Derek Wadsworth too. Oh, That's an interesting one. Really. Uh, uh,
3: Richard Crane has continued the tradition of posting news items that remind us all of Gerry Addison's stories. Uh, Here's some quite interesting news, says Richard, regarding the Loch Ness Monster, which was the focus uh, subject of Stingray, episode 13, the Loch Ness Monster. I'm sure that will get Commander Shaw and Admiral Jack Denver into yet another argument. This is from Yahoo News. The Loch Ness Monster is plausible, a British university has declared, after finding that some plesiosaurs may have lived in fresh water. Nessie proponents have long believed that the creature of Scottish folklore could be a prehistoric reptile with grainy images and eyewitness accounts over the years, hinting that the beast has a long neck and small head similar to a plesiosaur. However, Skeptics argue that even if a plesiosaur lineage had survived into the modern era, the creatures could not have lived in Loch Ness because they needed a saltwater environment. But now the University of Bath has found fossils of small plesiosaurs in a 100 million year old river system that's now in Morocco's Sahara Desert, suggesting that they did live in fresh water.
1: Oh. So, could be a thing. Gosh, who needs yeah. a mechanical... Uh... Uh, Loch Ness yes. monster like in Stingray when you could have a real one just floating around down there.
3: Exactly. And finally, uh, from our Facebook group for now, Steve Beresford said, just a thought, what do you think of the chances of getting Cliff Richard on the podcast?
1: Uh, I can tell you the precise chance. Oh, yeah, uh, go on. Very carefully calculated using yeah. all sorts of mathematical formulae,
3: mm-hmm.
1: past experience, uh, emails yeah. sent interactions. have. Uh, yep. And I'm pleased to oh. share with you the final outcome of that calculation uh, and that is uh, zero. Oh. That's disappointing.
3: But, uh, yeah. uh, so, if you'd like to be disappointed further, simply join our Facebook group and ask Jamie a question like that.
2: Uh, a very <laughs> I'm very of disappointment.
3: <laughs> uh, you can post your merch, you can post your cosplay, your art. We'd love to see more Thunder Dogs uh, from your own imaginations. And uh, they're a really lovely group, so why not pop on over to facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash
1: podstrons, and join in the fun. Yeah. Now, you have reminded me, though, that we don't have get Richard, but we do have an archive interview with Hank Marvin. That's close, isn't it? Oh, that's
3: pretty close.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Okay, not bad. Maybe that's something that will pop up at some point, but not quite yet. Okay. Fair Uh, enough. Now, Richard James, would you like some interviewee stuff? Oh, yeah. Always. Always up for that. Yeah. Well, that's good, because uh, I've been exchanging emails with James Swallow for some time. Oh, yeah. Yes really, for some time. Uh, Now, James is a BAFTA-nominated scriptwriter and novelist uh, uh, for thrillers and sci-fi. He's on the New York uh, Times bestseller list, the Sunday Times bestseller list, Amazon bestseller list, all the bestseller lists. Uh, He's also written numerous audio dramas and video games, and we had a rather lovely chat. Uh, So here is James Swallow, part one.
5: Hi there, my name's James Swallow, I'm a New York Times best-selling author of thrillers, tie-in novels, audio dramas and video games, and I'm a big Jerry Anderson fan. That
1: is a brilliant intro. I'm always jealous of anybody who can introduce themselves as a New York Times best-selling author, uh, so that is very, very cool. So what are the titles that people might know you for, James, or if they don't know
5: you yet, should they get to know you for? Well, um... Currently, uh, I'm probably best known for, for my Mark Dane series of um, action-packed espionage thrillers. Uh, just finished the sixth book in that series, Outlaw, uh, and i am currently uh, just released a standalone novel called Airside, which is a kind of uh, die-hard style crime thriller. But beyond that, I've written in, in a lot of uh, franchise worlds. I've written for, for Doctor Who, for Star Trek, Stargate, Warhammer 40,000, uh, a lot of different fictional worlds that throughout my life have kind of given me a lot of pleasure as as a reader and a viewer. Uh, And I've been able to kind of give back a little bit, kind of contribute to the the great tapestry of those stories. So um, that's what I do. I like to describe myself as a writer of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great term. Good
1: catch all. Um, But that stuff seems to be more on the sci-fi genre end of things generally yeah pretty much uh, is that fair to say
5: yeah I, th- I think i'd say that you know the my two favorite genres it's it's science fiction and sort of action adventure okay so
1: why what brought you into the worlds of science fiction action and adventure at some point i'm going to make you say something anderson mm-hmm. but is there you know more widely what what was your grounding
5: in uh, in sci-fi and action adventure as a, as a kid. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm a child uh, from, from the end of the space age. So I grew up around, my family were all kind of interested in it as well. And and with a surname like mine, how could I not be somebody who, who wasn't interested in kind of aviation and things that fly, you know? So, yep. so I grew up surrounded by people who thought that stuff was cool and kind of contributed and, uh, you know, infected me with that love for kind of rockets and planes and, and that sort of cool kind of thing. So I was always interested in in the sort of the, the cutting edge, the, the, the thrill of speed, you know, uh, jet planes and that sort of thing. And of course, rockets and science fiction and spaceships just build on that idea, right? You know, it's it's like a plane, only quicker and faster, and it goes into space, you know? And as a kid, I just gobbled up all of that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I, I hoovered up everything I could read, you know, from, from the TV shows, movies, comic books, you know, and, and amongst that, in that kind of constellation of... Of, uh, of thrilling stuff that I was a fan of was, were the Gerry Anderson shows. It was, um, you know, things like, like Thunderbirds and Stingray were kind of from my parents' generation, but they were something that I always felt like was kind of gifted to me by them mm-hmm. because we, because they'd watched them when they were younger and then I was watching them again as a kid. And it was kind of something we could share. And, and certainly with, um, you know, the, the hallmark, I think one of the hallmarks of, of the Anderson shows is, is cool tech. And that is, oh, yeah. you know, cool vehicles. It was always like, you know, tune in. What, what are we going to see this week? It's like, it's the crab logger or it's the sort of like the road builder or, you know, it's the, you know, the, it's the sun probe. It's what's, what's going to be the cool funky vessel, vehicle, ship, ground vehicle, spacecraft, whatever in this mm. particular episode of Thunderbirds. And I think that's why I hooked in from an early age to being, being a fan of the Anderson style stories. And, and looking back on it now as well, I think there's, there was stuff that appealed to me that I didn't really pick up on until I kind of analyzed it later as an adult is the the, the the jet age spy thriller kind of undertones that go through that. And there's also, you know, the the great key concept at the Heart of Thunderbirds, which is it's a show about rescuing people, which is something that, you know, even uh, these days, it's not a kind of theme that we see a lot. Because often it's like, you know, you see kind of cops or doctors or you see people kind of going out and uh, and, and sort of often using violence for their ends. But Thunderbirds was always a show about helping people and it was baked into the core concept. And I think the uniqueness of that was something that uh, that always stayed with me. And then there's the storytelling as well, which is always quite high octane, you know, very mm. fast paced, you know, uh, edge of your seat sort of stuff and i think years later now as a writer i'm always trying to emulate that that sort of sense of kind of you know you can't leave your seat you have to keep turning the page you have to keep watching and i think that's you know if you want to ask me what what the indelible mark that jerry anderson stories have, have left on me as a viewer and a creator it's definitely that well that's uh, uh high praise indeed
1: for the for the shows which you know by some standards, particularly contemporary standards, might be seen as a little bit slower, I guess, today. But they still maintained, like, held your attention, didn't mm-hmm. they? Just for context, James, what what was competing for your attention at the time against the
5: Anderson stuff? I suppose you know, the Star Wars was the big sort of you know the the big thing at the time. I think in the 1970s, that was the that was the uh, the, the game changer. I think also Star Trek was something that I that I came to in in sort of the late 70s as well that was that was another show that was kind of a big part of of my sort of sci-fi nerd landscape it was it was it was on tv uh when i would come home from school on bbc2 i would turn on and there would be an episode of star trek and and those things would be would, would be part of my sort of science fictional diet but i think as well the going back to anderson shows i think the the anderson shows i think that that probably made the biggest impact on me were the ones i kind of discovered myself because Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet were were like, in a way were kind of handed to me by my family because they, you know, it was an older show. It was was before my time, although I still enjoyed it. But it was UFO and Space 1999 that were the shows I kind of discovered because they were on, they were coming out brand new when I was a kid, you know, watching ITV, Saturday morning television, turning on, uh, watching Space 1999. That was uh, very formative for me. And because that loops nicely back into the whole kind of love of, sort of near future sort of rocketry moon landings and all of that kind of stuff. It connects up very nicely to that. And I have, uh, you know, a lot of um, sort of personal connection to those because I just, I I had the toys and, you know, and and I felt like, uh, you know, I was playing my own little adventures along with those, with those shows when, when I was watching them, I remember distinctly, I think it was Selfridges had uh, a display of sets and props from space 1999 one year. (laughs) <laughs> and I, it was a Christmas thing, I, 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 I think, and I begged my parents to take me so I could actually kind of, you know, see and actually kind of touch a little bit of what was Moonbase Alpha because to me it was so real, you know. Yeah. And Space 1999 was, you know, because it, it was a companion, in a way it felt to me like a companion piece to UFO and it was only years later when I realized that they actually kind of were, you know, that the two shows had kind of grown, one had grown out of the other. And, I, and I had a fun story about UFO is uh, there was a building um, around the corner from where I lived in North London that looked very much mm. like the Harlington Straker Studio building. <laughs> and when I was younger, I wondered if it was like kind of a branch office of shadow. You know, I had this idea that, you know, that that was what was going on there. And I have to say, nice. many, many years later, uh, when I left school, I had to go there. It was, a, it was a job center and I had to go there to sign on. And it was it was not as cool, you know. There were no jobs for sort of skydiver <laughs> crew. Any any jobs for interceptor pilots here? Yeah, no, I'm afraid not, you know. But um, and you even wore your string vest, and you still yeah. didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was. It was um, I think that the the shows to me they were they were always kind of a part of my my kind of science fiction landscape growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, did you get to go to the salvages? exhibition or
5: not yeah i did yeah yeah oh you um, did thank god for that i thought you were gonna say you begged them and you couldn't go no no absolutely they they took me there and um i i just have very fun memories of of you know actually kind of seeing the the props and the material from because that wasn't a thing that happened very often i mean you know these days you can go to conventions and events and people you'll see prop displays but you know, it seemed like those were things that never happened. That you never actually got to see the physical objects. It was always something. Yeah, it's on the other side of that glass wall of the television screen. But no, here's yeah. here's the real Eagle Transporter. Here's you know a, a console from Main Mission, and it's like suddenly it became much more real to me than than just like yeah. something on a, on a TV show.
1: So, well, the the reality of things is really interesting because I think <laughs> there's a certain tangibility to to all the Anderson shows, right? Even if they're puppet-driven like Thunderbirds or Stingray through to the live-action stuff, and you've said there a couple of times kind of ha- having the toys and making your own adventure or going to see the the real Space 1999 set or a local building which felt like the real-world representation. So it, in a, in the context of something like, you know, watching other stuff like Star Wars and Star Trek, where they are in in many ways so detached from reality... What is it about the Anderson shows that made them more tangible and kind of real world
5: for you? I think there's a sort of, there's a granularity of detail. Even when you're looking at shows Mm. that aren't meant to be sort of technically super accurate, you feel like it's real. And I think it's, it's part of the fact that the shows all have practical effects. Yeah, And so, you know, when you see something blow up, you're seeing a real thing blowing up. You know, it's not it's not animation. It's not simulation. You know, that's someone's wired a bunch of bangers to a rocket and blown the hell out of it. <laughs> and, and and that visceral kind of reality of it, you know, I think it, it never goes away. So I always had the sense of being interested in aviation, you know, going to air shows and things like that and watching real-life fighter jets flying over. And then, you hmm. you know, you watch an episode of Thunderbirds and you can see – the same attention to detail in like the fact that it's not pristine clean, that there are little bits of grime and dirt around the engines of the engine bells of Thunderbird too, you know, and it gives it a sense of reality that kind of transcends the unreality of the show. It's like, you know, you forget that you're watching a bunch of puppets on strings, you know, and you, you get into it because I think it's the, that sort of sense of reality, it sells the idea of the show to you and it, it allows you to get past the kind of unreality of other Mm. parts of it.
1: So did did that reality then present itself to you as, oh, these things, Thunderbird, Stingray, space, UFO, are from the same stable? Or was that something you discovered later on?
5: I always felt like the, certainly the puppet shows felt like they were part of the same world. And then the fact that, you know, when we, there were the Century 21 comics, which actually said, well, it's not just part of the same world. They are literally inhabiting the same world and you can have like team up Mm. stories as a kid, I was always disappointed by the fact that we never actually got that is that, you know, let's have an episode of Thunderbirds where Stingray turns up, you know, Absolutely. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then seeing the, uh, seeing UFO and, and then watching space 1999 afterwards and thinking, yeah, you know, it feels, ton- even if it's just a tonal thing, it feels like this is being made by the same people and, and it could happen in the same world is that, you know, yeah. this show is a prequel to this other one. It's all, all part of this larger universe. And that's always fun, I think, as a fan, because it gives you a sense of it being larger than what it is, you know, that it doesn't yep. feel like it's happening in a vacuum. It's got all yeah. these kind of cross connections. I mean, it's doing the sort of thing that that now is kind of meat and potatoes for sort of like, you know, you would look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where everything's cross connecting to everything else. That seems like a new, uh, a very sort of modern now idea. But I think that the seeds of that kind of, were, were, were buried in, in, in much earlier shows like the, like the Anderson shows
1: Oh Absolutely, I mean the, the, the TV21 comics I think were really ahead of their time and um, the team behind the merchandise side and the publishing, so Keith Shapton and Alan Fennell I think, they were really like way ahead uh, it, was, the, was the comic a big part or the, the, the comics across things like
5: TV21 and Look In and others, were they a big part of your Anderson experience as well? Yeah, I do remember um, reading those and getting the sort of the uh, the, the, the co- sort of compiled editions of those. The look in comics that was something I, I, I remember. That was you know um, devouring those, mm. uh, and then of course you know when all the stuff was reprinted years later, I, I bought up all of those and you know all those wonderful sort of Frank <laughs> Bellamy artwork and stuff. Again, really sort of evocative. Yeah, which um, you know, and and it took the took the sort of like the puppet reality of the shows, and, and then. And re-rendered it in in this sort of comic form where again the characters are very definitively the characters that we know but they've got a structure and a style to them that fits perfectly into comic books yeah and i think around about that sort of time as well i was getting very heavily into uh japanese animation in the sort of like the 80s and the 90s which um and so many people in anime creators clearly draw massive inspiration from, oh, yeah. from the Anderson verse, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and uh, I made friends with people who kind of crossed over people like uh, the artist Steve Kite was a, was a yep. friend of mine back those in those days. And, you know, it, he was a huge Anderson fan. And we would often just uh, wax lyrical about uh, what we liked about the shows and about the sort of the, the fact that the Venn diagram of the crossover of the interests between those two worlds was very strong.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the inspiration goes beyond industry stuff uh, and into 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 the real world into into nasa and uh european space agency and ai research and all sorts of stuff um in terms of because you because you're writing now and you're creating these sci-fi worlds now just interested in your perspective on why these things have lasted because you know i don't think you can credit Thunderbird's timelessness or its ongoing popularity, despite not being on on broadcast telly or any major streamer for, for years, it's still around. So it's not pure nostalgia that drives that. So what what do you think it is, particularly through a contemporary lens, that has given these things their their persistence through time despite their decades of age?
5: That is a great question. You know, I think. There's, there's a, you know, I talked about the kind of the uniqueness of the themes earlier on in the show. I think that that's definitely something that mm. kind of makes Thunderbirds stand above other other sort of genre television. But there is a sort of there there is a kind of timelessness. You know, it does exist in a sort of unique space because of the look and the feel and the style of it. You know, it, it's it's not contemporary to anything. You know, it's set in this hypothetical 2060s, which you know, looks like this kind of jet age, rocket age version of the future. And yeah. because it isn't because it isn't realistic, it is allowed to exist and it, it can't age because it can never be wrong. You know, you can't look at it and go, <laughs> Well that looks a bit crazy. They don't drive cars like that. It's like, well but this is a different timeline. It's a whole it's a whole different thing. And so because of it has that timelessness, I think it's always gonna exist in that unique space and it's it's a it's a an audience is allowed to kind of discover it again and again and again, you know, every, every generation of kids can come up and, and pick up this show Mm. and, and, and find something about it that they like and rediscover it over and over because the core themes of it, you know, the, the great sort of basic stuff about, you know, teamwork coming together to sort of solve problems, all those great sort of positive aspirational ideas, those things never go out of style and that's it. You know, Thunderbirds never goes out of style. The Anderson shows never go out of style because they have a style that is uniquely theirs, yeah, and that can't be superseded because it is, it is what it is. It's its own unique thing, and I think that's that's such a rare creation in a in a world of, of sort of TV and film where we're we're bombarded with new content all the time. It's mm. hard to find something that you can consider would be like a you know an, an evergreen sort of concept.
1: Yeah, and and yet they are here still. I mean, for, it'd be interested to know your point of view on um character age and demographics and stuff because i i don't know how it is for your for your world for for novels and stuff and what editors and publishers are saying these days but certainly in 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 tv and movie content everything is now so highly kind of selected for demographics it's changing a little bit i would guess and it is it is evolving but there is very much this view of um oh if you if you're making a, a kid's show There has to be a kid character. You need an access point character. Mm. But shows like Thunderbirds and Stingray fly in the face of that and yet they are still here. So I wonder what you think about the longevity based on the age of the characters being aspirational as well as the stories and the nature behind it, the spirit of them.
5: Yeah, you know, I've always found found that odd. The the very first books I ever wrote were a series of of young adult um, steampunk westerns and... The, so the audience I was writing for there were kind of like 14, 15, up to kind of 16, 17 years old. Yeah. And at the time, I thought to myself, well, what did I think was cool when I was that age? And what's the thing that, you know, I, I was really excited about? And I remember one of the things that I really loved at that age was the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was this, you know fantastic, pulpy adventure, and it had great action in it. And also, it really hooked my interest in history and archaeology, you know, and it had worked on a lot of levels. And I thought, I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to do something that hopefully would stimulate a reader in the same way, the same kind of action and adventure, but put it in a Western setting. And the characters I had were in their early 20s. And uh, I had to kind of push quite hard because my publishers were saying, well, we want it to be – we want the books to be about kids – because it's kids who are reading it. And I thought, well, why but children kids don't want to be kids. The truth is. Kids want to be adults because kids live in a world where they see adults have all of the power and the access to cool stuff. Of course yeah. when you get to be an adult you realise that's not actually true. But <laughs> but in, you know but in but in fiction, you know, kids are looking for aspirational stories. Yeah. Stuff that will help them find the path they're gonna take on their life. And I think heroes in stories for a younger audience i think it makes sense for them to be a little bit older not too much so so that the a younger a younger viewer or reader can still see themselves in the character but i think it's important to give the the characters in those stories agency and often when you have a character a younger character it's difficult to credibly write a character who has a degree of agency you know yeah. to have you know a 12 a year old kid piloting thunderbird 2 that's stretching it a little bit, but if you go, well, he's in his, you know, he's in his late teens or he's in his twenties, that feels a little bit more realistic and that feels more believable. Yeah. I mean, the, the
1: Tracy brothers were like young, young guys, weren't they? Yeah. But there was no kind of, ah, oh, yes, we'll make Alan 12 so he can, uh, you know, be an access point for the 10 year old viewers. Yeah. I, f- I definitely feel like there's a leaf that could be taken out of the, the sixties entertainment playbook there, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, not something we can fight against, I suspect Oh, more of that Next week, well, obviously, yeah. for part two Good Nice fascinating chat, chap Yeah, you mm-hmm. see great. We, oh, we have all sorts of fascinating chaps We've got to counteract you and I somehow So uh, <laughs> Exactly, that's true yeah. yeah, yeah, you did very well uh, Anyway, look, if you want to uh, find out more about James You can go to his website, which is at jswallow.com That's J-S-W-A-L-L-O-W.com uh, or you can find him on Twitter <laughs> at jm swallow. So add the m in there, uh, and find him on YouTube and Goodreads. And um, actually, just reaching over because he sent me a nice copy of his uh, recent Sa- book. Which got there? here, what? which is uh, No he? Nomad. Oh, yeah, New York like Times it. best-selling author James Swallow, and he even wrote a little note in the front.
3: Oh. Look, oh, that's nice, isn't it? it says oh, yeah. Jamie, stand do- by for action. Jamie, do not. No. darken my doorstep he didn't say oh, that oh I see
1: yeah no he didn't no you're no. such a troublemaker have anyway he. more of well, James that's good isn't it anyway uh, next week what have you
3: got say something <laughs> well Just a quick reminder to all our lovely listeners at home, Uh, in case you hadn't realised or in case you've stumbled across us quite by chance today, you're listening to the Gerry Anderson Podcast and you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And we would love it if you'd leave us a rating, preferably if you're really enjoying yourself, a five-star rating with a nice review. uh, Because that will let other people know exactly what you think of us and it might tempt them to join you uh, in listening to the podcast. And also... Yeah, you can copy the link and uh, post it on all your socials as well and let people know what you're listening to. Now, over on Twitter, people have been hashtagging us. Jerry Anderson Podcast, for example. Undefined Rachel took Chris Dale to task on Twitter oh, following yes. a uh, recent randomiser. Mm-hmm. As an oink fan, says Undefined Rachel, I disapprove of you slandering the poor little defenceless seal. Well, we'll see what Chris has to say about that. Uh, British Invaders Podcast says we're back for the first part of our review of Jerry Anderson's New Captain Scarlet series in CGI from 2005. So find them on Twitter and have a look at their review and see what they thought of uh, New Captain Scarlet. John Berry said, finish this week's Jerry Anderson Podcast and I know the Watch With Mother video that Jamie Anderson is referring to. I watched it many a time as a kid along with my sister.
1: Ah, Happy VHS nice. memories. Uh,
3: there you go. And finally, for now, Joshua is running up that hill. Posted Hi, is there a podcast about Gerry Anderson's TV adverts like RBS
1: and Scotch videotape, etc.? Uh, the closest we had was our lovely chat with Richard Gregory, which was released yeah, posthumously, yeah. which is just a, an informal That's chat right. that he, he and I had in my garden one summer afternoon a few years ago. Um, so there's a little bit yeah. in there, but. Uh,
3: not. And a conversation with with uh, hashtag Mummy A, of course, which sort of detailed those yeah, a bit of, those times bit with as, well. A as well. She yeah, bit with Mummy as well. there. so there you go. There's two. Mm.
1: Have a have a mm. go at those. Hmm.
3: Uh, yeah, but it might be interesting to, to look uh, a little bit
1: deeper into those. Might not it at some point. It might well be. It were all sorts of uh, of day. I mean, don't look at me, but, I know, mean, someone could do it. Yeah, I yeah. think we talk. I mean, we've talked about the back of the burger and the. Um, the Giacometti figures for the Royal Bank of Scotland, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But yeah, maybe mm-hmm. there's a future one there. More archive mm-hmm. stuff, perhaps.
2: Yeah, uh, Yeah. sure.
1: Richard James, are you done with your on yeah. content? Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, I think Just, that's it for now. I don't yeah. know if you've noticed, but Chris Dale has been sat there, rocking back and mm-hmm. forth with his head in his hands, and his TARDIS mm-hmm. hasn't moved. And I th- Oh, it is a TARDIS, is it? It, it oh, is a TARDIS. I and I think yeah, I know yeah. what's happened. Right, right. He's tried to go back in time to undo his slandering of oink. Oh, the
3: silly Chris Dale.
1: (laughs) That Terry Wogan thing's gone a bit wonky, hasn't it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, uh, he failed in his mission. It must be a fixed point in time. Uh, And so now forever he will be known as the slanderer of oink, which is why he's looking so depressed. He will. So... Let's hope yeah. that the randomiser. It? Yes, it's another future episode of a, of a Jerry Anderson episode, a, a series. <laughs> the slanderer of Oink. Uh, <laughs> anyway, hopefully he will get over it by the time he does the randomizer, But uh, I think that explained quite a lot. But sometimes, you know, you say these things, and these things can't be unsaid, even if you've got a Doric column masters Tardis. So yes, let that be a
3: lesson to sucks you. Sucks
1: to be you, Chris. Anyway, time for you to do the randomizer, So please prepare your big red button and uh, give it a push for us. Oh, my dear Chris, you have been naive.
0: <laughs> Black Rock, Nevada. Here in this secret laboratory belonging to Mike Mercury and his supercar team, the art of electronic wizardry is carried out. Mm, delicious. Absolutely delicious. Ham and eggs, Mike. Just the sort of breakfast you need. You can say that again. Yes, it... Oh, it does smell good, Professor. (sighs) Didn't you get any sleep last
2: night? Oh, not with Beaker crashing around in my eagle all night making his repairs. That's right, Mike. He reckons that he'll be ready by midday. Yes, I suppose I have put it through quite a bit of wear and tear over the years. And also, he's been asking me if I'd consider selling him the randomizer for you guys to use here. I don't think we're ever gonna need it myself. No, quite right. So, gentlemen, who's up for giving the button a press today? All right, folks. You asked for it. Oh, thanks, Mike. Anyway, I couldn't possibly sell the thing. Put far too much work into it over the years, you know? Yep. People will never learn that there are some things that money just can't buy. Exactly. Right, let's see what we ha- Oh, Oh! it's Joe! It's Joe! It's, Mike, Joe. it's, Joe. it's Joe! has ooh. she gone crazy?
0: I don't get it, Professor.
2: <laughs> okay, it's the printout, it's the printout. Look, there, let's see for yourself. Hijacked! <laughs> yes, it's only gone and given us one of the greatest episodes of Joe 90 ever made.
0: Bravo! Bravo!
4: Huh! <laughs>
2: Oh, well. Well, now, my goodness, Uh, we've been spending quite a lot of time recently with very early episodes of shows, and uh, as early episodes of shows go... Oh, there's a shop there called Aegon. I wonder if that's uh, relevant to Lavender Castle at all. Yes, as early episodes go, there are a few more relevant, a few more successful I should say, than, uh, Johnson, I picked up your emergency call. than hijacked, in terms of it clearly establishing what this Caletti. series is going to be. Johnson, was it Calais? As uh, Sam Louver is cradling the body of a, a W.I.N. agent named Johnson at the end of a, I might say quite a familiar looking alleyway. And again, with Blu-ray detail here, I've never noticed until just now that, you know, it's obvious Johnson has been um, shot. He's got a he's got a scratch on his face and and such. But I never noticed there's blood on on a pile of boxes um, near his body. So obviously he's been like gunned down in the alleyway. Fairly brutal opening for for uh, any Anderson show, much less Joe 90. But as I said, this is the episode where Joe 90 says, you know what? Listen, Max. this ain't for kids. We are gonna go full on. Sam? There's
4: no time for explanation.
2: Bloody violence. All right, Sam, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Right. It's beautiful, and it's lovely, and I adore it. I big great. Okay, Sam. And I think um, many people. Oh. Even people who foolishly, ignorantly, naively, and just plain wrongly don't like Joe 90, I think most people who are in that camp and are willing to give this a go will agree. Think working okay? Yes. This is something very, very special. To the big rat. So they're recording Johnson's brain pattern. Stuffing it into the big rat. And uh, before we go any further, yes, this was the second episode in production order, but I have a feeling this was shown as like the fifth episode. Let me look that up for you. Do it. I'll tell Joe. Joe. You can switch off now. All right, Dad. Well, let's go.
0: Hold on, Sam. I think it's time for some sort of explanation. Later, Mac, we have less than two hours. You must get back to your laboratory.
2: Now listen carefully, Joe. Episode four, for those of you who are wondering, I've just got back, yes. First shown October 20th, 1968. But we later learn in the birthday that they call this Joe's first real assignment. So it's obviously meant to be the second episode. Relax completely. And we relax as we go into the opening titles. Yeah. I love it when they do that. I love it when they present the opening titles as part of the episode. It's such a clever idea. And I can't think of any other Anderson shows that can actually do that. Um, successfully within their own narrative. And speaking of IMDb, as I I just was there. Obviously, I don't go to IMDb as any sort of reliable source of information at all. But I was looking at the is the World Network, the ratings, the scores that people have given episodes of Joe 90. Go on, Sam. Um, with the lowest score, six point four, uh, in number thirty is the birthday. The highest rated episode on IMDb at the moment with 8.3 is Talkdown, which is a good choice. You want to know where Hijacked comes? He's selling guns to the highest bidder. It's 7.5, it's number 22. How ridiculous. And that's why we don't use IMDb as a reliable reference source. Anyway. It seems to me, Sam, such a man must be stopped. But how do we do it? Your briefing is, Mario Coletti is a very naughty man. Sells lots of guns. They overlook- Guns him. kill people. So we have to stop him from selling the guns. Or having the guns. Or indeed being alive.
0: Fox will attack 2100 hours today. Target shipment Tango 120 will confirm, out. What does it mean, Sam? It means that the fox Mario Coletti intends to hijack Tango 120. A truckload of automatic rifles of the latest design in approximately one hour. I want
2: Joe to be with that shipment to lead us to Colletti. Why use Joe on the mission, Sam? That was oh, well, we've got to get some use out of him. We, you've agreed. <laughs> it's too late to back out now. Yes, he is. And his weight? Oh, six stone. That's uh,
0: 84
2: pounds. Close enough. So he'll fit inside one of the the armaments cases. And here we go. Here it comes! Yes! Boom. Boom. I love this. I adore this piece of music. As I adore so many things about this show, but this piece of music in particular, um, surprisingly, wasn't reused much in later episodes, but it's an absolute banger of a tune, and uh, very nice to hear it played live at the concert, uh, the Standby Fraction concert back in April. So much of this music in this show is just nice and gentle. We live in a nice country cottage and it's all sweet and lovely. And we've got this nine-year-old boy and then, well, if Johnson's information is correct, Coletti will
0: strike in one minute from now.
2: Yeah, this is just so, it feels dangerous and it makes these uh, villain characters that we're about to meet look uh, even more nasty than they already do. This is Gregson, Davis, there's a chap in the car called Carter. Gregson is played by the um, uh, the puppet that was Fraser, most famously in Captain Scarlet at Crater 101, who uh, always looks very sinister, until the Secret Service when something goes wrong with his face. Um, but he's just a thoroughly nasty piece of work, this puppet, you can tell just by looking. Right on time. So he and his chums have got a machine gun lined up on the road where this uh, armaments truck and police car are passing through and again here we have the same callous disregard for human life as was obvious in Captain Scala. That police car just exploded, the policeman presumably is dead, uh, I would have to assume more than one policeman because there's always two policemen in, in police cars in this show and you just ha- now have this This truck driver doesn't even get any lines, I don't think. But you just tell by the the sweat on his brow.
0: That driver's got his foot right down. Oh, don't worry, he won't get f-
2: He's in fear for his life. As well he should be, because up ahead, roadblock. Now, we don't see anything, but uh, I like to think that he, um, considering how, <laughs> how nasty this episode, how mean and cruel this episode can be at times, I, I assume he just went straight through the windscreen.
0: Transporter must have stopped. Could it be some sort of traffic holdup? Possible, but on a country road, not likely. I think Johnson was right. They've been ambushed. Great. That's at least three men dead. Great. That's just it, Mac. As I said, a grown man could never hide inside one of those crates. Who'd be looking for a nine-year-old boy? No, it's just great. I couldn't be happier. Right back to Coletti's hideout.
2: There, yeah, no mention is made of the policeman or the truck driver ever again. They're just dead. They are incidental to this story because now we're going to meet the main man. Coletti. Coletti. The
0: trucks are one mile from the base and they've not been followed.
2: They have a helicopter, which uh, I don't believe turns up again in the episode. Yeah, this uh, I, I tend to assume this complex is not too far from the Macleans' home um, because they seem to sort of get to it fairly quickly near the end. So it's so nice to have this lovely English countryside. We go into this empty barn and then oh, there's a concealed entrance, and inside this massive underground complex thing, sort of built into a hill. It is pure Bond villain lair. In a way that I don't think we've really had in an Anderson show before, possibly aside from the Hoods, the Hood's temple. But this feels very, you know, very big. Very grand and uh, very real, crucially. Oh, and I recognise a lorry parked in the back of the... The, the loading bay there I think that was from uh, treble cross On. and it's also great that they established this is a this is a big organization Gregson Davis and Carter are the only three really of, of um, Coletti's henchmen that we get to meet but there are more several trucks drove in with at least two people behind each uh, each dashboard so Joe is in Coletti's base He's drawn his gun. Of course, he has the brain pattern of uh, W.I.N. agent Johnson, who's such a great agent that he got himself shot. I always question uh, the, the wisdom of assigning Joe a brain pattern of someone who had failed in their mission already, and it happened several times in this show. It's Joe. Loud and clear, Joe Knighty. Have any more innocent civilians or bystanders been injured in the course of our mission? Because it just makes me so happy.
4: We're reporting 15 minutes.
2: And again, this is an early instance of the wonderful trope in Joe 90 of while Joe is out risking life and limb, Mac and Sam are just sat back at the cottage, feet up, cup of tea. It's a very cushy arrangement for them. Oh, but Joe has tripped. Intruder in area four. A security checkpoint.
0: Intruder in area four. You fool. Someone followed you back to the complex. Uh, impossible. Get down there. Yes, sir. I want him. Preferably dead.
2: Oh. There's so much lovely venom in uh, both David Healy's performance as Coletti and Keith Alexander as Gregson. Over there! I love the way that the lights come on so suddenly the whole place is illuminated and uh, Joe is down one end of a pile of uh, cases. The other guys are closing in. And I love, I adore the way that music builds up to that that sudden blast of the hijack theme. Just that bum 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 bum. It's just oh, it's so cool. This music really makes being an international arms dealer just seem like the coolest thing ever. I don't know why it's certain episodes and certain bits of music that just become so iconic I'm so grateful for this piece of music being in this episode it does so much to elevate what is already a a standout definitive episode of the show
0: look like a kid come on
2: hey I love this as well Joe walks in on the guy manning the security desk he just turns around and says hey and Joe runs off. He doesn't do anything to stop him. And here's a puppet we rarely see. Here's this guy manning a truck, who I guess was planning to run Joe down. I don't know what his plan was. Uh, yeah, that puppet, I think, was in Captain Scarlet, Avalanche. And then basically never had a speaking role after that, I don't think.
0: We've got him cornered.
2: Oh, that's it. Joe has wandered into, uh, well, some kind of room. Up your gun. Iron bars have come down in front of him. Knocked his glasses off, crucially.
0: This is the end of the line, kid. The very end.
2: Oh, yes. Joe has been captured and he's lost his glasses. So, on his very first mission. And this is what I find interesting about this. They send him in to Coletti's lair with no real plan. (laughs) So, all he can really do is just kind of blunder about. Yes, It's not his fault. What's your name? You didn't really have an objective as such. Joe what?
4: Joe 90.
2: And I think Len Jones does a really nice job here of uh, sounding scared.
4: I'm an agent for the World Intelligence Network.
0: (laughs) I see. That's that's very... And
2: I also like what David Healy does here.
0: And this is
4: your case?
2: Genuine sort of... What's this? How you would talk to a child who...
0: They could almost be real.
2: Seems lost in their little world of, of make-believe and imagination.
0: Take the boy home. It's, uh, you don't understand. This boy seriously wounded two of our men. <laughs> Do you take me for an imbecile? It's obvious to me what happened. At the first alarm, some fool fired at the shadow and the rest of you panicked and started firing at anything that moved. Hmm. It's a wonder someone wasn't killed.
2: He's got a great, uh, great view of his own people's uh, aptitude there.
0: Take the boy home. Come with me.
2: And I do like at first that you're led to believe that Coletti is actually genuinely letting Joe My off. case. <laughs> uh, certainly Joe and I did. Weird that he asks for the case back and not the glasses, which are right there on Coletti's desk. I would have thought that the, the glasses would be the more urgent thing to get back, but he doesn't, he doesn't really think to do that. He has seen and heard too much. Tell Gregson to dispose of him,
0: yes, Mr. Coletti, all right, son. You're going home the same way you came.
4: I've forgotten my glasses.
0: You won't need them.
2: Everyone is so in on this idea of child murder. It's so much fun. I love how venomous everybody's voice is. Ported again by now, Sam. Don't
0: worry, Mac. With Ed Johnson's background knowledge, he'll be able to handle Coletti.
2: More tea? Hope you're right, Sam. You got any biscuits? I hope you're right. Oh, gosh. It's just so chilling. all right, Joe?
4: They've caught me, Dad. Where are you now? I'm locked in the boots of a car.
0: Listen, Joe. Do you have your glasses?
4: No, but I know where they are.
0: Okay.
2: You've got to get those glasses.
0: Joe, feel round the lock. There's probably
4: a slot with a hook in it.
2: I always wondered about that as a kid, actually, if if that's actually true, if you can release yourself from a car boot. of the boy. It'll be a pleasure. I suppose um, that would involve shutting someone in a car boot and I don't think anyone's willing to do that experiment. So, yes, I love that Gregson. Um, It'll be a pleasure sounds almost like a, a certain mr Bold, if uh, faced with the prospect of uh, doing away with joe 90 once and for all oh damn so yeah we we now have uh, attempted child murder by some very nasty people in the jerry anderson universe and it's I, i'm struggling to think of similar moments i suppose The closest would be things like uh, Jimmy Gibson or uh, Jonathan Zero sort of being threatened by baddies in Supercar and XL5. But they're never sort of in this much believable mortal danger as they are here. And I do think... uh, uh, Firstly, I I love the fact that these shows reuse the same puppets, but uh, crucially, I think what makes this episode work is the choice of guest puppets. This Fraser puppet just was made to be this real, cruel, vicious villain. Let's go. That's it, he's uh, got out of the car, on a cliff edge, release the brake, and down it goes. I also love that it gets to the bottom and then, the moment it comes to a stop, just suddenly explodes. There's what looks like a dustbin following it down, and as soon as the dustbin hits the car, kaboom. Mac the signals stopped Joe I wonder what that means Mac it could mean that your son has been blown to bits Mac oh, I wish we bought a thermos of tea with us our men have searched the wreckage and there was definitely no one in the car well just a little boy Sorry,
0: uh, no we were just passing patrol 147 calling 147
2: excuse me sir that's the uh, puppet that would later play Matthew Harding from it's the Joe Secret Service That is hideout have we any idea where that is Well, I plotted an approximate location
0: from Joe's homing signal in the laboratory.
2: Then what are we waiting for? Joe did very well to get back to Coletti's hideout so quickly. After being driven away from it, clearly. He's returned on foot and somehow got in.
0: The 15th will be ready for shipment early. I
2: love that he's got the gun, but he doesn't have the glasses. He's he's sneaking into Coletti's office to get the glasses we are in his point of view the Brenner's
0: submachine
2: what gives him away is that little creak of his footsteps
0: and the actual details of the payment can be worked out late
2: oh, and the puppet reacts
0: I am leaving for Geneva.
2: who's nearly got his glasses
0: and expect to be there in three days.
2: And then, oh, oh, oh it, always, it always makes me wince, that sudden blow to Joe's hand. And again, I think it's the sight of the blood. Where are you?
4: Close enough to kill you, Coletti.
2: It's a really nasty moment. Um, the first of several were about to have in quick succession. Firstly, that- um,
4: Davis? They're not here. You sent them to take me home, remember?
2: That line of Joe's there. He just seems suddenly... It's almost like he's, uh, Coletti is now in a horror film and Joe is somewhere in the shadows, threatening to kill him. And Coletti actually believes it. It's a great credit to Len Jones's performance, I think. He's in an underground complex. There must be a hidden entrance someplace. Yeah, it does rather beg the question, how did Joe, how did Joe get back in? But it doesn't matter because we have this wonderful shootout between him and Coletti.
4: All right, Coletti. I'm coming to get you. Oh! You're the only one left, Coletti. It's just you and me.
2: I've murdered everybody else. Well, no, he hasn't, has he? Is um, come on. There are another a, a couple of other guys still in the building somewhere, but no one's coming to Coletti's aid here. I can either assume they're all out. Um looking for Joe, or Joe murdered them off screen. Come on out! Which I think is probably the more likely explanation. But yes, Coletti was having trouble with his gun. Now Joe has lost his. But luckily, he's in a place with a lot of grenades. And you know what you can use grenades for?
4: Over here, Coletti.
2: Blowing human beings to bits. Sounded like an explosion. It sounded like chunks of human flesh being ripped apart and smeared all over a cave wall. It's just brutal. I, I love the sudden, just the clunk of the grenade and then kaboom, with the little figure of Coletti. The little figure. That's it, uh, I love, I'm so, uh, I feel like I'm bad for being, in, enjoying the sadism and brutality that's on display here, but I can't help it. I just, I admire it. So much for, for the, just the, the concept of the series. Yeah, firstly, that, but also throwing a child into this clearly dangerous situation not just dangerous, monumentally dangerous. Joe! And uh, Joe somehow lost his glasses, but he's managed to open the door for them. And some nice off screen looking for Joe voice acting here from Keith Alexander and Rupert Davies. And then one of my favourite moments of the whole series as Mac finds him. It's amazing how much emotion Rupert Davies can get out of that word. And in any sane world, this is the point where, you know, Mac agreed at the end of the first episode, let's let Joe do this stuff. This is the second episode. There is no way any responsible parent would ever let anything like this happen again. But, you know... I hesitate to say that Mac isn't a responsible parent, actually, because he's a good guy. But there is no way after Joe nearly getting blown to bits in a car, shot, suffocated in the fire, it would never happen again. But of course it does. Luckily, we have 28 more episodes to enjoy. I was worried,
0: Joe. We thought you are in that car when it went over that cliff.
4: I'm sorry, Uncle Sam. I must have dropped the homing device when I was struggling to undo the boot of the car.
2: What happened to those men Sam and well, we picked them up. It was a clean sweep ah, What about the uh, policeman and the driver? Oh, they're dead. I'll tell you your next
0: assignment a hot bath and straight to bed for you My boy, and that's an order
2: <laughs> Several innocent people lost their lives helping you achieve your mission, but it's okay if we don't mention them ha <sighs> more cocoa anyway that was hijacked and Oh my goodness. It is... I think it's quite rare in the Anderson universe, actually, where you can pull up an episode of a series and say everything that this show is, for better or worse, is is contained within this show. This is uh, an absolute, you know, definitive microcosm of what the show is all about. But Hijacked, absolutely, is just Joe 90 in its purest form of throwing... Just the idea of throwing a child into this... Insanely sinister criminal underworld, as I said with no real plan. That's what sort of gets me It was like what was he what was he sent there to do? He didn't have orders to kill Colette. You just kind of bring him in, but you know, oh I just I love it. I love every moment of this episode. I love the violence. I love the music I love the 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 nasty villains really nasty villains actually which this show did um, quite often, Um, really nasty, unpleasant villains. So yeah, only the second episode of Joe 90, but already they've just nailed the format superbly. So one of the best episodes of one of my favourite Anderson shows. If you haven't seen this, I thoroughly recommend checking it out on Blu-ray. Well, not sure I can say anything about that, do I? Yeah. What?
1: What? What do you mean? What? The the music's good. (laughs) Not. Yeah. Um, Come on. Chris was quite good in that one. Oh, dear. Right. Okay. So. Well, there we are. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so we, Chris we will be back on? with another one, oh, hopefully sorry. not Joe90 next week, because uh, the randomizer is um, random. So there you go. It is random. That's true. Yes. Yeah. But it might be another Joe90, because that's how randomness works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. But then, I think have talked about this Could before be. with how, you know, yeah. random yeah. isn't yeah. really oh, random, God. especially with playlists and stuff right. and random and stuff anyway have you got any more or right. should we just wrap this thing up
3: i mean you sound like you've had enough to be honest you sound like that whole randomizer joe 90 episode has put you in a real funk yes i can tell
1: yeah i think it has mm. despite the well funk, you need to go work it off somewhere don't uh, yeah you? despite the funk of the music yeah. i i it's definitely left me feeling yeah. <laughs> in a funk so anyway well yeah. thanks for joining I us i mean i need to go and lie down in a cold dark room and uh, yes. hope that I feel better Poor after my recent exposure to Joe Ninety, which sounds strangely like a, mm. a pandemic in itself. I'd say certainly it does not. A bit, yes. Have you tested positive positivity? for Joe Ninety? <laughs> <laughs> this is a great anti- I think anti-marketing campaign for Joe Ninety. <laughs> 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 oh dear. oh I wonder dear! If I can get a vaccination, <laughs> anyway. Uh, We'll be back next time in pod 217, hopefully free of any nasty cases of Joe 90. And uh, I can't believe we've not thought that before. It's brilliant. Uh, (laughs) We look forward to making your ears clammy and various other things Uh, next time in pod pod 217. Which is one of the first symptoms, I'm (laughs) sure. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm too amused by this. I better stop. Let's go. I'm I'm, I'm done. Bye, everyone. (laughs) See you next week.
3: Bye.
4: Let's go! Spectrum is green.
1: what do you think the symptoms of uh joe 90 would be
3: well certainly clammy, clammy ears. ears
1: yeah um annoying um, voice i mean
3: annoying voice
1: well hearing double i would No, Mo- well multiple personalities i was gonna say uh that's yeah. it yeah that's right um <laughs> s- stealing russian jets uh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: maybe no yeah Anyway, well, now we know know the symptoms, we can look out for it easier.
1: Absolutely, yes. I want to do a whole campaign with, uh, you know, keep your distance and all that sort of stuff. That uh, seems like (laughs) a good way to spend my afternoon.
3: Anyway. um, Do you know, I, I, I think we might have missed our opportunity with this. We're talking about something that really kind of started two and a half years ago. And only now have we had the idea that we could tie it into Joe 90.
1: People make jokes about the dinosaurs. They're, you know, sixty-five million years too late. So, no. all
3: right, yeah, fair enough. No, on a on a glo-
1: on a universal scale, we are, but you know, yeah. milliseconds from from it. And also, you don't want to make jokes too soon, do you? So, no, that's true. True enough. There you go. Yeah, I'm glad we agree. Right, all right,
3: you agree. Right, I'm going to go and work. You can lie my... down. I'll <laughs> I'll go and get your jab ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, promises. Right, uh, I'll go lie down. Bye. <clears throat>
3: Now, you might feel a small prick. It's
0: Joe 90, isn't it? You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson
4: Entertainment Production.